The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. John Maynard Keynes once said that the avoidance of taxes is the only intellectual pursuit that carries any reward. Let's check in with Wade and Alex to see if they've made any progress on this front. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I am Alex, and I'm here with my trusted and sage companion, Dr. Wade Fow. Hello, Wade. Hey, Alex, and hi, everyone. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, yes. So uh, any uh, postprandial stories, Wade, from Thanksgiving that you want to share with us? And just as a reminder with all the food that I need to do my push-ups. But <laughs> beyond that, it was a pretty standard Thanksgiving. Really? And yourself? Do you, fo- do you focus on the push-down or the push-up? It's all about the up, upward oh, motion. Okay, all right. <laughs> onward, all right. upward, and onward. There you go. No, myself, it was fine. We went to uh, Dean's daughter house, daughter's house, Lynn. Dean is, you know, a principal of, of McLean as well. To his daughter's house. And uh, Wade and I were discussing this before. Wade's married to, uh, you know, someone from Japan. And my wife is a Jap, you know, she's second generation Japanese, and so Dean, Dean is my wife's uncle, and Dean is, you know, they're they're all Asian, they're all Japanese, and so we were talking about what kind of food you have. Wade said he does the red, white, and blue Thanksgiving uh, for us, <laughs> right? All the fixings, right, Wade? That's right. For uh, do you cook? A... Do you cook, or, or does your wife, you know, cook? Who, who leads here the charge? I do not. I'm not able to cook Thanksgiving style stuff. So you're not able to, or you don't want to. Let's be honest. Now, well, I haven't tried <laughs> formally to test my skill, but I'm guessing it would not turn out well if I did try. Got, no, no, I got you. I got you. I was for us the only Japanese sort of influence that we have is we we you know we're we're, we're in effectively Northern Virginia, so let's just say it's close enough to Maryland. And so in the Chesapeake, the Maryland blue crabs is the the thing to do, right? And so we have a crab sort of dip with Japanese rice. And then, you know, on the side, you have a sheet of uh, seaweed, nori, and you use that to pinch the dip. And that's that's as good as it gets, you know, in in terms of uh, Thanksgiving before dinner. There's always like sharks circling around. That That sounds good. That's, yeah, it beats a it beats a tuna casserole. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but at the conveyor belt sushi restaurants, they usually have something along those lines, like a roll that's sort of a crab salad inside. Really? I vaguely know what you're talking about there. Vaguely. No, no, no. I've at least had something similar. I don't know exactly how similar, but <laughs> along the that's good. Same theme. All right. And so uh speaking about 
crab dishes. Today we're going to talk about something completely different, right? No, Now, uh, something completely different. Exactly. That's a better transition. Uh, well, Wade published an article with Joe Elsasser, a good friend mm -hmm. of the RISA. He runs a software company called Covisum, a, a tax planning software. So it's very specific to advisors, if you will, but it's a very popular one. And you know, if you're an advisor listening in, I invite you to check it out. If you're a consumer listening in, I invite you to talk to an advisor who uses it, I guess. It's, it's not consumer driven. These softwares are very specific to the profession. And there probably wouldn't be a market, honestly, uh, for consumers just because of the complexity and because of the servicing needs that, that you would have. But that's another topic in and of itself. And, and we will be able to explain quite a bit without access to software. It's not just a complete black box. We're going to try to break into that black box and lay its component parts out. But certainly, yes, <laughs> Joe has been very helpful because he developed this idea of tax maps that we'll be talking about today in that it's now going to be the third year in a row where when I do the update for the retirement planning guidebook, I completely change how I explain tax planning for retirement. So <laughs> now it's going to be about this effective tax rate management and tax maps. And I learned that from Joe. And, and so his software It's the tax planning software that does that. And he also has a social security claiming software as part of that package as well, Covisum. So okay. yeah, it, so this he's been a big help to just helping me. It's not that all these different methods lead to that much difference in the outcomes, but it's more about being able to wrap your head around how does this work and how can it be explained and how can you actually start to use this even if you don't have access to software. No, I, I think they do a good job of, quote unquote, going back to elementary school, they showing your work. They do a great job showing your work. So they help you conceptualize things. But the article that you wrote is managing taxes in retirement using the effective marginal tax rate. There it is. Right. Uh, so wait, I want to ask you, Very poetic. How, did you, how did you come up with this title? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what was it? Inspiration? Well, often well, these well. titles are very utilitarian in terms of <laughs> trying to explain what the article's about, so that there's no surprises. I think that's always important because sometimes people give some sort of poetic title that isn't at all what the article's about, and then if you're trying to find this article, you're you're never going to think to look at it because the title is something completely different. So. Wait, I was Can't just kidding. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't need an answer. <laughs> just a <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> But thank you. thank you for that. Well, there is a method to the madness. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's awesome, man. And uh, we're coming off of uh, Rob Cordo's masterclass on year-end planning, which largely was about taxes. So absent of us doing a formal tax arc, which we'll get to at some point, I guess this is this is in running with the theme from the last podcast here. Mm -hmm. uh, after reading this article, I, I found obviously from a high level, and then you, you'll you'll rip it to shreds here, you know, drilling down. But effectively, there's two foundational things to think about. There's to me, there's the order of operations from taking tax from taking distributions from an investment portfolio, and there's a standard. You take first from taxable accounts, then you take from tax-deferred accounts, then you take from tax-exempt accounts. And that being a regular brokerage account, individual brokerage account, then like a 401k IRA, then like a Roth, effectively. 
That's what you want. And to be clear, that's the conventional wisdom, which is a lot better than other things, but it's not the be all end all. That's where we're going to dive deeper and explain a better method. But yeah. Not at all. But even though it's conventional wisdom, it's, well, I was going to say common sense, not so common, you know, but you can't say convention. It's still not fully understood, (laughs) right? Because Wade and I were speaking to somebody who's a fairly learned person in this industry, knows a lot about planning and things like that. And he was talking to us offhand about how he just inherited a Roth from his parents. And he was going to use that money to help fund that person's uh, son or daughter, their their college education, right? And that person had access to other available funds as well. It wasn't like that's all the money they had. And so Wade and I looked at each other and, you know, we're thinking politely how to tell this person not so fast. You know, there's an order of operations with regards to distributing income for needs like this that may not follow the order that this person was thinking of. Although, yeah, honestly, in this case, and this, I don't completely remember that it was an inherited Roth IRA, but if it was, it doesn't really fit into conventional tax planning because now you do just have that 10-year window to spend it anyway. You don't get to push it back to the the end of retirement. I don't remember exactly, but I remember you and I were looking at ourselves like, I'm not so sure. You know, like there's more to it. There's more to the story than than just flipping it. Right. (laughs) But the point is there's a, there's convention to this, but then gremlins that you have with regards to this convention is what you term in the article as non-linearity. And so I think if you could spend some time just talking about the convention and then what are things that kind of throw a wrench into that, would be helpful in terms of setting up the, the case study that you did this article on. Sure. And so this this article was in Advisor Perspectives, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes for anyone who would like to, to read the article itself. But as we talked about last week with Rob, this idea of tax diversification, that is a foundational point that you're in advance of retirement, getting yourself into a position where you have these three different types of accounts. You've got your taxable brokerage accounts, you've got your We'll try to use the term IRA to just summarize the broader world of tax-deferred accounts where you get a tax deduction when money goes in, and then everything comes out as ordinary income. And then you'll have, we'll try to simplify as a Roth IRA, but it could also be Roth 401ks and so forth, where you put after-tax money into the account, but then everything, including any gains, comes out tax-free in the future. And so you've got these and where do you put your savings? Well, part of that is you want to diversify between the different accounts. But the other part of it is we know we have to pay taxes, but we want to look for opportunities to pay taxes at the lowest rates. And so the idea is if you believe you're in a higher tax year, get your tax deduction today, put it into the traditional IRA. If you believe you're currently in a lower tax year, uh, go ahead and pay the taxes now and put it into the the Roth IRA so that you don't ever have to pay taxes again. And that's really driving also, we're going to be talking a lot about Roth conversions, We're going to where you're intentionally drawing money out of the IRA to move it to the Roth IRA, and that becomes taxable income. You want to do that in lower tax years. Now, often people have this idea that they'll be in lower tax brackets in retirement, and that may be true, but there's some big caveats on that. And that's these non-linearities in the tax code that we need to really clarify. And then we're going to look for strategies to help manage these non-linearities as well. So we'll keep things simple in that we're going to assume we're in a state with no state income tax. If there was a state income tax, that just overlays on top of everything we're talking so about. So you're talking about the great state of Florida. 
Florida, Texas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, st- <laughs> there's a, a lot of people in this country do live in states with no state income tax. But if if there's a progressive state income tax, that's just a whole additional overlay. It's an add-on to all of this. Yeah, yeah. that's an add-on. <laughs> it's not a nice to have. It's a more more tax paying. <laughs> but otherwise, even with federal income, there's a progressive tax system. So we have the federal income tax brackets that are progressive, which just means as your income increases, it's going to start to push into that next chunk of income is taxed at a higher rate. And now you've got 10%, then 12%, then 22%, then 24%. Then I think 32 comes after that and, or (laughs) keeps going, then 35 and then 37. Uh, In current laws, two years from the start of 2024 and 2026, we're going to kick back to a different set of tax rates unless Congress decides to extend. But currently, there's going to be a sunset where then 10%, 15%, 25%, um, and so on, uh, 28%, uh, 32%, that sort of thing. So that that is just the idea that I think I may be in a lower tax bracket in retirement because right now with my salary, maybe I'm in the, say, 22% bracket. But I think by the time I'm retired, I'll be in the 10 or 12% bracket or ultimately 10 or 15% a few years from now. I'll be lowering the tax bracket in the future. However, there's four things we want to talk about with this to help set up the conversation around what we're looking at in the article, which is how can we find a more tax-efficient distribution strategy? And, and these are the social security taxation. That's the first one. Uh, the way social security benefits are taxed is extremely complicated. I don't think it'd be possible to hardly think of something more complicated unless you start pulling in random things to add into the, the give it calculation. Give it to me, Wade. Let me have at it. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, um, there's going to be thresholds of income where it, it, it expands your, your, your taxable income. So mm-hmm. I take money out of my IRA. I'm taking ordinary income. But then that can also trigger more of my social security benefits to be taxed. And so I take a dollar out of my IRA and there's going to be a phase that shows up a lot in this case study where that dollar I take out of my IRA triggers 85 cents of a social security dollar to also be taxed. And so I may think I'm in, say, the 22% bracket, but that dollar I took out is taxed at 22%. It's also causing 85 cents of a dollar my social security to be taxed at 22%. That's a 40.7% effective marginal tax rate on that dollar. And it's because that dollar uniquely also caused social security to be taxed. Now, once you get to the threshold where 85% of your social security is counted as taxable income, uh, then you leave the tax torpedo and this is no longer an issue. And in last week's episode, Rob mentioned like 85% of social security is taxable for higher net worth individuals. It may be hard to avoid the tax torpedo. And so you will be in that situation. But in the case study, we're going to talk about today where this is a couple at age 62, they have one and a half million dollars. They have an opportunity to set things up so that that statement's not going to be true. They can get less than 85% of their social security taxed. And that's going to be a big part of the conversation. Have you signed up for Retirement Researchers Retirement Income Challenge yet? It starts next week, Monday, December 4th at noon Eastern, and it's filling up fast. Don't miss your chance to join Wade, Alex, and I in this free 
four-day challenge where we walk with you and discover how you approach retirement income, where you stand relative to your retirement goals, and what you can be doing to bridge that gap and make sure that your retirement is on track. Think of it like a pop quiz for your retirement plan. We can only accept a limited number of participants for this challenge, and we're filling up fast. So head over to resoprofile.com slash podcast to learn more and find out how you can join Wade, Alex, and I. Again, that's resoprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge. The second item is Medicare surcharges. We, we talked about that last week as well, Irma. Once your income exceeds certain thresholds, uh, you have a discrete jump in Medicare premiums. And, and the first threshold in, in 2024, 103000 for singles, um, 206000 for a couple, where then that would be based on income from two years prior, your modified adjusted gross income when it exceeds these thresholds. You're going to be looking at another $1,800 for the couple of additional Medicare premiums if you have $1 too much income. Now, Joe and I will have a second article coming with a case study where the couple has $5.5 million, and managing those IRMA surcharges will be a big part of that second case study. But in this particular case study we're talking about, and in the article we're talking about today, they're not wealthy enough and their spending goal is not high enough that they ever run into the IRMA surcharges. So this is something very important, but it's not directly relevant to today's conversation. The next item will be quite relevant to today's conversation. And this is a complicated one, and it affects pre-retirees as well as retirees. I call it preferential income stacking. And earlier today, when we were talking about that, you needed some clarification on what that's even talking about. So (laughs) we should probably unpack what I mean by this. Who's you? You're referring to me? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's just this is not standard terminology. I don't know what to really call it. There is no standard terminology for it. Yeah, um, I don't think so. That's why I was like, what is that again? Because it was like your like your own kind of lexicon there. Yeah, yeah. So your taxable income consists of ordinary income plus preferential income. By preferential income, I mean long-term capital gains and or uh, qualified dividends from a taxable account. Those have a separate system of tax brackets that doesn't match exactly, and it's really odd why they don't match exactly, but right where ordinary income shifts, well, taxable income shifts from uh, 12% to 22% is where preferential income shifts from 0% to 15%. And so if you have a taxable account, you don't have any control over the fact that it's gonna at least kick off some qualified dividends. So this becomes preferential income that stacks on top of ordinary income. And so what's going to happen in this case study, they're married filing jointly. So I am talking about a couple here, though there's some odd differences that happen for single people, widows, uh, they can get into much higher effective marginal tax rates, but we'll set that aside for now. I think I'm in the 22% bracket. I've got some preferential income. I've got some qualified dividends. I'm doing a Roth conversion. So I'm voluntarily taking money out of my IRA. Uh, my total income is still in the 22% bracket, but I'm going to get to a point where that preferential income stacks on top of my ordinary income, and it's going to eventually start to get kicked from each dollar I generate from the ordinary or ordinary income from the IRA is now going to start pushing 
dollars of preferential income from the 0% bracket into the 15% bracket. And I, I was saying the 22% bracket before, but this actually can, well, it depends how much preferential income you have. No, I'm sorry. You're going to be in the 12% bracket when this is an issue. Sorry. So you're, you're in the 12% federal income bracket. Uh, and then you're starting to push preferential income to be taxed at 15% instead of 0%. So $1 of ordinary income is taxed at 12%, plus it uniquely causes a dollar of your qualified dividends to be taxed at 15% instead of 0%. That's a 27% effective marginal tax rate. And it's an issue that comes up because preferential income stacks on top of ordinary income. Now, there's also the net investment income tax of 3.8% that starts to kick in at closer to 200000 for singles, so, 250000 for a couple. So Rob was one, talking about that last week. That's One thing I want everyone to, but just when you were doing the math, just because it, I'm envisioning, I'm always envisioning someone listening, trying to conceptualize the math. These are additive rates. That's why you're going, I don't know, 10% percent here and 10 percent there you get 20 percent they're not like they don't net out or anything like that they're additive to each other no i like say you have four thousand dollars of qualified dividends so when you get up to the point where you're four thousand or even <laughs> you're like four thousand dollars less than that threshold with ordinary income that's where you're you take another dollar of ordinary income 12 percent tax on that dollar Plus, because of this diff- different set of tax rates, $1 of your gain, long-term gains or qualified dividends is getting pushed into the 15% bracket too. So then you got 12% plus 15%. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then with the, the, this also impacts the net investment income tax. So what I was saying was in this particular case study, they're not wealthy enough for the uh, net investment income tax to be an issue. But it is an issue in the uh, the other second article we'll have we'll be coming out with later in a couple weeks then the final issue is required minimum distributions so in this case study they're going to start at age 75 currently the the rmd start age is 73 but for individuals born in 1960 Mm -hmm. or later the rmd start at 75 and at some level they shouldn't be an issue a big issue that is you have to pay taxes on your rmds but you can always reinvest the, the remaining funds into your taxable brokerage account. You're not forced to spend the RMDs. However, the problem is with all these nonlinearities related to Social Security and Medicare and the preferential income stacking, the RMDs force you to generate ordinary income, which can be taxed at much higher effective marginal rates than the federal income tax brackets. And that's where RMDs can create a surprise where you're kind of going along fine in retirement and suddenly you hit the age where RMDs start and you get this big surprise, you have to take a big chunk out of your IRA that can cause some serious damage in terms of how much taxes you end up having to pay on that. And part of this tax planning idea is that by paying taxes, by doing Roth conversions in advance, when RMDs do begin, hopefully they're not going to be so onerous at that point. And that also becomes a big part of what this case study why it's able to add a lot of value to their retirement plan is being able to get a better handle on these. Okay. So then a lot on IRA distributions at that phase of retirement. So then the, in, in terms of the environment that you've laid out, okay, you have a certain tax rate. Great. Right. But because of these potential nonlinearities, 
you may bump into items that inadvertently shoot up your tax rate by more than you ever envisioned. And then you're surprised at the end in terms of, you know, I've made a terrible mistake. What, what, what just happened here? <laughs> right. And so that's why you're, you're sort of pointing out there's there's these gremlins that you want to, you know, always keep into consideration when you're do, when you're when you're, you know, taking your distributions. And those gremlins tend to accentuate themselves, if you will, if you just follow traditional standard method of tax free, I mean, taxable, tax deferred, tax free. And so, you know, to take distributions. And so it's not always that simple. Hence the case study to show you why. Correct? Yeah. And let me also just mention the widow's penalty here, because a single filer, uh, and this could happen the year after a death with when you were married filing jointly, a single filer, because the um, the social security thresholds are not half the for single people compared to couples, you're in the 22% bracket, but you're in that 85% range of the social security tax torpedo, and you have some preferential income. So I, I take a dollar out of my IRA, maybe because of an RMD, uh, that's causing 85 cents of social security to be taxed. So 22% on the dollar, now 22% on another 85 cents of social security. And now I've got $1.85 more taxable income because of this, that then if I have preferential income stacked on top of that, that's getting pushed into the 15% bracket, I'm paying 15% on another $1.85. I was a single person who thought I was in the 22% bracket. In the scenario I'm describing, that's a 49.95% effective marginal tax rate because of the social security impact and the preferential income stacking impact combo. So you're saying (laughs) the government sure do take a bite. (laughs) Well, well, yes. And that you may think you're in a lower tax bracket in retirement and you may be in a lower federal income tax bracket. But when you add these nonlinearities in, it's more of an issue in retirement because these are more... Well, they specifically the the Social Security, Medicare, RMD is very much retirement specific. Preferential income stacking applies both pre and post retirement. So, how yeah, did that's the case what we're looking to manage here? How did the case study manage it? Okay, yeah. So, getting into that now, I never know like what's a good wealth level to to look at. So, this case study we're saying is a mass affluent couple. They have one and a half million dollars of investment assets, which for some listeners, that may be shockingly high. For other listeners, that may be like lower than, than what they have. So we will have another case study with $5.5 million. But for now, we'll talk about this $1.5 million um, investable assets. They're both age 62, 400000 in a brokerage account, a million in an IRA, 100000 in a Roth IRA. They're going to delay Social Security to age 70. The, uh, the primary insurance amount on the high earners, $2,500. And so this is going to translate into, in today's dollars, $52,200 of Social Security benefits at age 70. And their retirement budget in today's dollars, $90,000 after tax. They want to, before considering taxes, they want to spend $90,000 a year plus inflation. And because that spending budget is lower than the IRMA thresholds and so forth, that's really the only possible way they could cause themselves to hit an IRMA threshold is by just doing a huge Roth conversion. And that's not going to be part of the optimal strategy for them. Uh, They're looking at, with the conventional wisdom, if they follow the conventional wisdom, they'll spend on the taxable account first, 
Then they're going to spend a long time covering all spending other than what Social Security provides to their IRA. And then eventually later getting to the Roth IRA, they get to age 95. They want their plan to work through age 95. Uh, they'll have $37,000 left in today's purchasing power, the $2023. Now, we look at different effective marginal tax rate targets. Now, I guess I should explain what these are exactly. Because of these nonlinearities, your marginal tax rate is going to be going, your effective marginal tax rate, including all these nonlinearities, is going to actually go up and down as you generate more income. So when we say have a 15% effective marginal tax rate target, we're going to look for all the cases where the marginal rates going either from less than to more than 15% or more than to less than 15%. And we're going to check for each of those segments. Can I generate that income and then pay an average tax rate on that of less than the 15% target? This can allow for temporarily having a higher than 15% rate If by doing that, you then get yourself into a position where you get a much longer runway of a lower than 15% rate so that when you average it together, you're you're still under 15%. But we look for different thresholds. And this is part when we get into, well, how can you do this without tax planning software? I think this 15% effective marginal tax rate threshold is fairly generalizable for and I, I don't yet have the exact wealth levels yet, but I mean, a million dollars up to two, two and a half million dollars, maybe even three million dollars. You might still generally find this to be close, at least to the, the uh, appropriate target. Now, in the case with five and a half million dollars, this is no longer the target. For that case study, we found 28% was the effective marginal tax rate that would optimize their after-tax wealth. But for this range we're talking about today, again, $1.5 million, 15% effective margin of tax rate. That allowed them to generate an after-tax legacy of $160,000. So quite a bit more than the um, conventional wisdom. And again, what it is, is they're going gener- to voluntarily generate taxable income if they can do so and pay a, a tax on that of 15% or less. If generating more income would cause them to have to pay taxes above that amount, they're going to say, no, thank you. Uh, I'm not going to generate any more uh, voluntary income. Okay. And then I think we should talk about the tax alpha of this because in this case study, yeah, <clears throat> yeah the uh, the gross return, the, the nominal return is 5.06%. It's a combination of 3% inflation and, and 2% real uh, in- interest, real growth on the assets. And then when you combine those together, that's 5.06% a year. Now, we can calculate the internal rate of return on cash flows. They're meeting their spending goal and then their legacy at Mm -hmm. age 95. Since that legacy is smaller at age 95 with the conventional wisdom, it turns out their after-tax rate of return is 4.17%. So the tax bite that's translated into... 4.17% doing the standard blindly, just naively doing the taxable, tax-deferred, tax-exempt. You're taking mm-hmm. assets out like that. That's Which will still, it. yeah, and that still will work better than other options. Yes, but, than randomly but that, doing but it. That's the relatively efficient approach before putting much more thought into it. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so after taxes, your, your 5.06% return drops to 4.17%. Now, if you calculate the internal rate of return on the cash flows with the higher legacy 
through the uh, more tax-efficient strategy of managing 15% as an effective marginal rate target, that increases your after-tax rate of return to 4.58%. That's 41% basis points more, 0.41%. And that's tax alpha. That's the tax Mm. alpha term. It's like alpha with investing. And this is not total. This is annualized for how many years? Annualized over a 34-year investing horizon. Have you signed up for Retirement Researchers Retirement Income Challenge yet? It starts next week, Monday, December 4th at noon Eastern, and it's filling up fast. Don't miss your chance to join Wade, Alex, and I in this free four-day challenge where we walk with you and discover how you approach retirement income, where you stand relative to your retirement goals, and what you can be doing to bridge that gap and make sure that your retirement is on track. Think of it like a pop quiz for your retirement plan. We can only accept a limited number of participants for this challenge, and we're filling up fast. So head over to resoprofile.com slash podcast to learn more and find out how you can join Wade, Alex, and I. Again, that's resoprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge. Okay, so if I'm, let me pose it to you this way. I'm somebody that's, I'm going to present to you an investment theme. Hey, I'm great at identifying opportunities in the stock market. And relative to the market performance, whether up or down, I have a system that I am going to give you an extra 41 basis points, which is 50 basis points. 1% is 100 basis points. Half a percent, 50 basis points. 0.4% is 40 basis points. So we're talking here an annualized benefit of point of, of 41 basis points. 0.41%. I'm, I'm, I'm somebody that you know figured out how the markets work, and I'm going to present to you the ability to be able to outperform the market by 0.41% every year. By 0.41, yeah, percent every year. Wait, how would I be esteemed? You know, how would my colleagues view me after 30 years of outperforming the market by almost half a percent a year annualized? Well, if we're talking about after the fact that you're actually able to achieve this, yeah, 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 yeah. after the cover of Forbes magazine, if you were telling me this before the fact that you found this system, impossible. I would assume you're a huckster or a shyster because as Bob French told me, you cannot consistently outperform the market in this manner. No, not being after the fact, you would be an investing superstar, Ah. having 41 basis points more than the index. And so the, the the point is. I think folks lose sight of this. You know, you're not going to see this in Power Lunch ever. Hey, look at this tax distribution. You know, you're not going to see that. You know, you're going to see something about Tesla or something about whatever, NVIDIA and whatever, right? The reality is that this is within your control. There's some complication behind this, but it's well worth doing the work because it's it's within your control and it becomes more of an engineering exercise than than some sort of, you know, investment savant characteristic that you need. And so to me, this is where the focus should be on in terms of adding value beyond what the market is providing. I, I think this is where effort should be guided on, not necessarily, you yeah. know, again, the NVIDIAs of the world and, and those kind of conversations. What, what do you think, Wade? Yeah, yeah, you have some control. It's We have to pay taxes, but we have some control over when we pay those taxes. And by being smart about it, we can boost those after-tax returns on our investments, which is what matters, that the pre-tax yeah. investment return is not the, the number we should really be looking at. It's the post-tax return that's going to matter to our 
our nest egg over the long term. And 41 basis points annualized, that extra additional return over 34 years is nothing to sneeze at. No, not at all. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm like, that alone is the reason why you should do this as opposed to just, oh, yeah, yeah this is just two guys nerding out, really you, because you're the one, like, you know, you're providing the content for today. But it's it's not just, hey, look at this cool little wrinkle that, you know, I don't want anyone to, to listen to you and think, well, that's not worth the effort. No, it absolutely is worth the effort. You know, in fact, I would venture to say 90% of the people listening to this podcast probably spend their efforts on things that don't move the needle at all. This moves the needle. Yeah, and may not even be thinking about this. Yeah, exactly. But, right, this is where we want to really unpack this thing. So let's kind of walk through what they're doing in the, the case study to to achieve this result. And, and like I said, this we looked at different effective marginal rate targets, and 15% was the one that did the best job. So one area where you need software is to know what is that effective marginal rate target. But I, I do think this 15% number is pretty generalizable for wealth in this general range. And so they're, they're 62 years old. This is how they go about achieving an, a 15% effective marginal tax rate target. So they're going to cover all their spending through the taxable account while they can. That's meeting their budget, also paying any taxes. And then if they have the opportunity, they'll do Roth conversions in excess of that to generate more taxable income. And that's what happens while they have a taxable account. In this case study, this process that we're describing, they're going to deplete their taxable account between ages 62 and 66. By 66, that's, they're going to draw out the rest of their taxable account. So during those years... They cover all their spending through the taxable account, and then they start doing Roth conversions. And to manage the 15% effective marginal rate, what's happening is the preferential income stacking becomes the the constraint. They're in the 12% bracket, or in a few years, they'll be in the 15% bracket. And then, because they still have the taxable account throwing off dividends and capital gains, they've got preferential income. And so as soon as that preferential income would start to get pushed from 0% to 15%, that's where their marginal tax rate is going to increase to 27% for the next two years and then 30% in 2026 and later. So that's where they put on the brakes. They'll do Roth conversions until they hit the preferential income stacking issue. Then by age 67, they don't have taxable assets anymore. So now part of the issue is now they have to use well, at this point, for the rest of their retirement, they're going to do a blend of IRA distributions and Roth IRA distributions. Uh, this is why you want tax diversification in the first place. But before they can think about Roth conversions, they first have to cover their spending need. So in this case, between the ages of 67 and 69, they're now in a period where the, there's not Social Security yet, so no tax torpedo. There is the IRMA surcharge issue, but that's a much higher income level than what we're talking about. They don't have preferential income anymore. They don't have RMDs. They actually get to manage the 15% federal income tax bracket for a few years. <laughs> and that lets them cover all their spending goal and do small Roth conversions until they get to the top of the 15% bracket. Then at age 70, Social Security starts. And this is changing the picture because they're going to immediately run into the tax torpedo. They've got, they have their standard deduction to work with at this point. 
Now, they can't just take an IRA distribution equal to the standard deduction because that will also trigger part of their Social Security to be taxable. But what they're going to be able to do between the ages of 70 and 74 is between their IRA distribution and the taxable portion of Social Security, they keep that inside their standard deduction. And they don't want to go a dollar above that because they have the 15% effective marginal rate target. And going $1 above the standard deduction with with the Social Security benefit that they have is going to push them into the 85% portion of the tax torpedo. So instead of entering into the, well, they they enter into the 10% federal income bracket, but with the Social Security tax torpedo added to that, it's an 18.5% effective marginal tax rate. So they basically fill their standard deduction and stop. And then even though part of their Social Security is taxable at these ages, it's still inside the standard deduction. They're not going to pay any taxes between the ages of 70 and 74. Then they get to 75 and RMDs kick in. Now, part of the reason why this strategy ended up being the best strategy was it got their IRA balance down low enough that you don't want your IRA balance at zero because you're going to waste standard deduction if you do. So <laughs> they want some IRA balance. And this is at a, a level, it's not perfect. Uh, the RMDs are going to push them just slightly into the 10% bracket, which with Social Security is really an 18.5% effective marginal rate. So they are going to be paying a little bit of taxes at, at these ages, but not a whole lot. They're mainly still taking the RMD getting their social security benefit, and then covering the rest of their spending through the Roth IRA distributions. And that way, they're not, they're not voluntarily generating any more IRA distributions because it would have to be done at a higher than 15% rate. And there's no opportunities once they're through the tax torpedo to salvage that and, and to keep going. So they, they put on the brakes but this, what it, it what it does is it front loads their taxes into those early years when they still have the taxable account, and then it keeps their taxes quite low after age seventy, versus the conventional wisdom, which didn't have any taxes while there was a taxable account because at all all those long term gains and and qualified dividends were still below the preferential income threshold and they didn't have any ordinary income, but then once they're now taking all their distributions out of the IRA plus Social Security. That led to a lot more taxes. The, this, the main driving factor that caused this improvement for this couple was they were able to dramatically reduce how much of their Social Security is taxed. Instead of being in the ballpark of 85%, it was significantly lower throughout the retirement horizon, like more in the ball. It increases over time because the Social Security brackets are non-inflation adjusted. So just gradually over time, more and more of Social Security is getting taxed. But it was a substantial reduction, which is a substantial tax savings. They, they pay higher taxes for the first few years to have dramatically lower taxes right. once they get to age 70 for the rest of their life. And this happened and that's by, what's driving the better outcomes. Yeah. And, and this happened by pulling away from the normal order of operations of distributions to kind of use your, what you said earlier, how these, this tax mapping strategy helps begin to guide strategies on on how you should sort of have that there's a line of demarcation that you always want to stay below, if you will. Yeah, and it's a blending. It's yeah, in the blending. early years you spend from the taxable and then do Roth conversions, so IRA distributions. And then once the taxable's gone, you're gonna then have a blend of IRA and Roth IRA instead of just doing one at a time. That that's it. That's all I wanted to point out. How difficult 
obviously the figuring out part is a little more challenging than not because of the resources available to consumers. So I, I so it's a two part question: How difficult is this to implement without a financial professional? And I say that knowing that we're principles of McLean Asset Management. So without trying to sound like a commercial as well, how difficult is this? No, it's the truth, right? Because we do have consumers and you know, I want them to come out of this with something regardless of, of what happens. So how difficult is this for somebody to implement on their own? And with regards to that, what are some potential shortcuts that could help them directionally make some decisions? Yeah, I'm always sensitive too because there's a lot of the books about be, I don't know. Planning. So that's fine too. <laughs> I mean, there's you know. a lot of books about retirement planning that are really just commercials to say this is so exactly. complicated. You have to hire an advisor. Yeah, now, exactly. I mean, of course, it's great if people want to work with McLean Asset Management, but I, I want this to also be accessible to people that do want to do this on on your own. And and so it really becomes like when you're you're looking at your tax situation and thinking about should I do a Roth conversion. You've got a couple of things, at least in the current year, to be tracking, which are if you have if you've claimed Social Security already, how's that going to impact Social Security benefit taxes? And it is a lot harder to do Roth conversions once Social Security begins. Um, if you're at least 63 years old, you have to be thinking about the impact on the IRMA surcharges. Now, it's not the end of the world if you might pay an IRMA surcharge once or twice because they're, they're not permanent. It's just for one time each time you exceed the thresholds. But you want to be tracking. I don't want to accidentally go over those thresholds. Now, you won't know what those thresholds are until two years later. But as a conservative assumption, I just kind of use this year's thresholds when I'm thinking about managing the the income levels as a way to build in a buffer for two years later. They'll probably be higher than they are this year. And then you just want to keep track of the, the preferential income stacking and the net investment income tax where well, how much ordinary income can I generate before I start to cause problems with how my my preferential income is taxed? And then over the longer term as well, you need to be thinking about where will you be once RMDs begin? And are you on a path where RMDs are not going to be onerous in terms of forcing you to pay taxes at high effective marginal rates because of all these complications? It, it really does speak to front-loading taxes in retirement, and especially also to help protect a spouse in the case of the widow's penalty, it is complicated. Uh, we do have a lot of our audience may be engineers. And so if you're handy <laughs> with an Excel spreadsheet, you can certainly create a spreadsheet to do these types of calculations. But but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're more of a, a delegator or someone who would rather just offload this, certainly uh, a good financial professional, financial advisor is going to have software available and is going to be able to help you work through this or help work through this for you. Uh, and as exactly what Rob was talking about last week, this really becomes Roth conversions. You, you really kind of have to wait till later in the year because you have to know what are your other income sources going to be before you can then engineer exactly how much Roth conversion you want to have to control that overall level of taxable income. So it, it can be done. And I, what I want to do is explain how to do it. And certainly- 100%. I just want to give, a, I just want to work, I just want to live in reality as well. And, sure. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast or even then memorizing the article is going to be equipped with being able to do the analysis. But what they are going to be able to have now that they didn't have before 
is the knowledge that, listen, conventional wisdom is taking distributions from a portfolio in the order of taxable, tax deferred, tax exempt. And that works better than randomly doing it or just, you know, picking whatever, right? That being the case, if you give some thought with regards to how you pull money out in consideration of your entire financial planning situation, you could potentially be adding in the realm of 41 basis points annualized by doing this in a smart way because you're you're keeping more of your returns than not. And that is significant. Many times in our profession, at least I find myself saying, no, that's stupid, that's silly, it's not worth the, the effort, or it's not really there, it's not cons- whatever. It's something in the negative. It's really, it's really like discounting things. This is not this is not one of those things. This is one of these things that it's well within your control to do and it's well worth the calories to spend because 0.4 of a percent a year annualized is significant. If if you translate that to investment acumen, you would like they would put a statue of you in Wall Street. You know, so I I, I think this is well worth the time. This is one of those things that's well worth the time. That I'll, I'll mm-hmm. leave it I'll leave it at that. <laughs> So go forth and Roth convert. (laughs) (laughs) Say hi to Irma for me. All right. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you for this episode, for listening in on this episode. Wait, thanks for the article. We'll have a link to the article below. If you have any questions, obviously we'll have links to contact us and, and we'll can take it from there. All right. Thank you. And obviously I hope everyone had a, a great Thanksgiving. We know we did wait. Thanks, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on Retire With Style. Take care. Bye. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.